The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Gregoriades. Today's guest is someone I've been wanting on the show since I met him, and he's a very introverted guy. So it was pretty difficult to get him to agree to come on the show, but I'm so glad he did because he is truly a Renaissance man. And I know that this episode is going to help a lot of you find the inspiration and courage you need to live the life of your dreams. There's just no other way to put it. He's done so many amazing things and continues to do so many amazing things. Just a truly inspiring individual. And on this show, he drops a hell of a lot of wisdom. I know you guys are going to absolutely love it. Before we get into the episode, as usual, I want to remind you guys that I am working with a small group of private clients in a one-to-one coaching basis. And we're doing some amazing work. People are really changing their lives for the better. They're improving their relationships, improving their careers, becoming more successful, becoming happier and more content. And if that sounds like something you want out of life, if you want to take things to the next level, head on over to my site, liberationmentor.com, and you can apply for a free consultation with me and we can see if we're suited to working together. So if that's something that interests you, head on over and do that. Without further ado, let us dive into the next episode of the Liberation Mentor Podcast. Enjoy. Guys, it is my great pleasure to welcome Igor Mackie-Baroda, who is a relatively new friend of mine, but already a close friend of mine. He's someone I've been wanting to get on the show for a long time because he's just the Renaissance man. There's no other way to describe you, Igor. You're just an incredibly actualized human being, and I'm sure that everyone who listens to this is going to learn a hell of a lot from you. It's good to be here, Nick. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're one of the guys I just, every time we interact, every time we sit and have a conversation, I leave feeling enriched. And I guess that's what, um, that's what I'm really trying to do with Liberation Mentor, man, is just help us all grow and progress and just raise the tide so all the ships go higher, I guess. And um, yeah, I'm sure we're going to do that today. I'm actually a little bit, uh, there's so much about you that I don't even really know where to start. So I guess chronologically, let's let's begin with where you came from. And you're, you're living in the States at the moment, but you are a an export from the the great mother country of Russia. Is that right? That's right, Nick. So I uh, moved over from Russia when I was 12. Um, I was actually a refugee. Once uh, the Soviet Union fell apart, there was uh, when the Iron Curtain opened up, there was an opportunity for people to kind of start leaving. And uh, me and my mom's family ended up in the U.S. I was about 12, didn't speak any English, so kind of uh, had to start a new life uh, here in the States. Wow. I mean, we had a long conversation about this on a car ride once, but when, when you're growing up in Russia, it was still legit communist, hardcore communist country, right? Is that correct? Yeah, man. I uh, remember I had to wear a uniform to school with a little bit, little red star with a picture of Lenin on it, like every single day. 
that just blew my mind. I mean, it's just amazing to, to realize that that wasn't even that long ago. You know, it was like 25 years, 20, and, and you lived through that, man. And, and the thing that I find fascinating about your particular story, which is not exactly unique, but it is, it is quite rare, is you went from, the, from that system, communism, where, I mean, you told me once your, your, your uncle had a warehouse where he received a shipment of, of old secondhand clothes from America and you guys went to see it and it just blew your minds. And then you came to America, which is, to me, I, I still walk around every day like I'm in Disney World. And I, I guess I'm interested in, in that, like that juxtaposition of from Russia to the United States, from communism to capitalism. I mean, what was it, what was it like for you when you arrived? Obviously, it was difficult because you didn't speak the language, but what, what else stood out? Yeah, it was it was a pretty shocking transition, you know, growing up in the country where for uh, for decades you've, the population is told this is the best place in the world, every other place is subpar, uh, you know, you kind of have the best of life, and then uh, to realize that that's kind of all a sham, and come to a country that literally has everything available. I just remember being a kid. Uh, walking into a CVS or a grocery store and being so amazed at the variety of products offered and uh, that there was no lines outside the store and there wasn't like <laughs> three terrible things that you could buy. But literally walking around grocery stores and walking around the aisles just completely wide-eyed. And that, that lasted a while. Another funny thing was um, in Russia, there was uh, two television networks mm-hmm. and you would get two cartoons per every night, uh, basically on this nightly show. And then when I came here and discovered that there was whole networks of cartoons you can watch anytime, I remember just being so blown away by that. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you know, I, I arrived, I'd been to the States many times on, on many different trips, but I moved here almost two years ago as a 37-year-old man. And I still walk around in literally wide-eyed amazement sometimes. It's just the scale of everything here and, and the yeah, the scope of industry and the energy here. There's something about this country that's just, I love it. I'm so happy to be here, man. I know I go on about this a lot, but I, it's the truth. Yeah, man. Okay, so, so you arrived from Russia. It was a massive adjustment. I know you told me on one of our longer conversations that it was it was very difficult not speaking the language and there was like a... An, an element of not fitting in is that is that accurate yeah um i kind of went for a little dark night of the soul experience there um of course i didn't know it at the moment but now looking back i realized i was uh pretty depressed for four or five years when i first came over here not speaking the language and you know i was like 12 13 14 it's 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 a rough time to be a, you know to be a teenager but especially being somebody who is uh, really different from everyone around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was definitely um, definitely a lot of like bullying going on and just not fitting in, not having a group of friends, and just feeling a lot of isolation. Um, my, my parents, I mean, they're absolutely amazing, but they were really focused on you know, trying to survive and providing for me and my brother. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have a lot of capacity to support me in that transition and the journey. So... I was kind of out there on my own for like four or five years until I uh, started figuring it out a little bit. Damn. I mean, I have so much to say on that because it's something, it's something I've been going through a lot lately is processing the, the stuff that I went through in childhood and trying to 
trying to overcome a lot of the things that I feel. I mean, it's my belief, and I'm sure you 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 agree, is that the traumas that we face in our childhood they stay with us and they they come back to haunt us. And that the haunting is through the way we handle situations, usually negatively, um, on the basis of that past trauma. And uh, you know, I I remember. A story that has just come up for me recently, which is where I had a fight in high school. I, like I wasn't like I wouldn't say I was one of the. I definitely wasn't one of the popular kids, but I wasn't like a, a super unpopular kid. I was just like somewhere in the middle of the run. And this one popular kid, he he said something to me once on 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 the school field during a recess, and I said I just like I just said no, nah, I'll fight you, bro. Let's fight. And so we booked to have this fight after school at this football club. And I remember, man, getting to this football club and it was like half the school was there, hundreds of kids, maybe 300 kids, right? Had like literally, because we lived in such a, a shitty little podunk town in South Africa that, you know, like any anything going on was more exciting than, than regular life. So it was like 300 kids there all wanting this fight to happen, surrounding us, like prompting us and pushing us on. And I remember he, like everyone was on his side and I it came back to me yesterday. I was, I was taking this long walk to try to figure some stuff out. And I realized I was totally alone, man. I went there all on my fucking own, dude, to this fight. Like didn't have any friends. No one was backing me up and it was fucking traumatic, man. So I cannot even imagine what it must've been like to go through that on a repeated long-term or in a repeated long-term fashion. It was, I'm guessing just a constant kind of feeling of alienation and loneliness. Yeah, man. Um, it, it was definitely tough. Although I've been, I've been thinking about this recently. And, uh, you know, a lot of those adverse moments in your life, that's, that's really what shapes you and makes you stronger. So <laughs> thinking back on it, I'm definitely grateful I went through that hard time that mm-hmm. really helped me formulate who I am and just get stronger as a human being. Uh, but yeah, it was <laughs> certainly really, really difficult at the moment. Sure. And, you know, Igor, that, that is such a, I appreciate you saying it. It like, we've all heard it many times about the, the difficult things in your life shape you, but man, it's so true. It's so true. Cause I was actually thinking of that, that moment, you know, um, just to bring it back to, to what I, I described earlier. And it was being alone there, you know, with no one <laughs> around with these 300 kids around me, like feeling you know, like no one was there to help me. It gave me such a strength to be able to go do stuff on my own in life. Truly, it truly did. And I'm sure that you received a similar kind of blessing from that because, I mean, I don't want to get the chronology wrong, but I want to go into your next, one of the big uh, events in your life was you joined the Peace Corps. Yeah. Right. Now, was that before or after you went to work in the corporate world? So that was actually after, and uh, you know, my decision to um, work in the corporate world that was actually a pretty big driver behind that decision. So, what happened was um, I studied finance in college, and uh, after finishing college, I got this awesome, awesome job in the corporate world. It was like at the time the biggest company in the world, super good reputation. It was really, really respected program that, you know, had a lot of pedigree. So I got into that program and basically what happened was for like four years, they would have us traveling from place to place in the world. So, um, 
every four months, they would move you from location to location to kind of tackle the biggest issues the company was having. So with that, I got to live in Japan. I got to live in Europe, uh, a bunch of places around the US. And uh, it was really, really good. Uh, the problem that started happening was I uh, wasn't really fulfilled and I was just kind of feeling drained and feeling like I wasn't really contributing to anyone's life and uh, making anything better for anyone except for arguably myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, also at that moment, I started making a lot of money. So um, always from coming from Russia, you know, growing up in a relatively unstable environment coming to the US where we didn't have any money. We lived in a pretty rough part of town. You know, we didn't have anything for the first probably like five, six years that we lived here. Financial stability was always kind of beaten beaten into me. And my parents always told me, well, you gotta, you know, you gotta get a some security, you gotta get a good job. We provided for your brother by bringing you over here. You gotta take advantage of every opportunity. So I definitely followed that route and uh, kind of started chasing the money and financial security in the corporate world. Uh, but then when I started making a lot of money, I realized, well, damn, this actually doesn't make me happy. And it was just like a big, oh shit moment. Like, what do I do now? Uh, I need to completely redefine who I am and like, where do I draw happiness from in my life? So I kind of did a huge 180 in my life and I, uh, decided to join the Peace Corps. And uh, for those that don't really know much about their organization, it's a U.S. government organization. It's not uh, religiously affiliated. And uh, about 250,000 Americans uh, have served in about 140 countries for you know it, its existence since the 60s. And you go in there for two years. Uh, they usually put you in a really rural com- community in some country like Swaziland or Kiribati. And uh, you live in a community, get to know the community, integrate with the community, and start doing uh, projects uh, which help the community. So I ended up doing that for 27 months in a little island nation called Vanuatu in the South Pacific. Which is basically just as far from anything (laughs) else as anything could be, right? Pretty much. It's like the opposite side of the world from where we now live. Unbelievable. Okay, so... You get there, you're, you you sign up for the PE, or you decide you're at uh, this large corporation, you're not enjoying it, and you're feeling the sense of emptiness or this this deep instinct that you need to be doing something different with your life. And you decide, okay, let me check out the Peace Corps. You sign up and they send you your, your shipping orders saying, okay, we're sending you to Vanuatu. That's, take, take, let's take it from there. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty long process, like a six-month to a year process to get in. But when they do send you your shipping orders, at least at the time, um, back when I did it, you don't have a choice of where to go. So they could send you, they could say, okay, you're going to Mongolia and you're going to live in a year in the desert, or you can go to a South Pacific Island, or you can go to the Philippines. Like there's literally like 150 countries that they can send you. And you don't really have a choice. You basically have to say like, okay, cool, I'm doing this. So what happened was I, uh, I, I was at a job, <laughs> at a corporate job in uh, Latvia. I flew into the US, had like a two, day, two days at home to pack my stuff, jumped on a plane and flew to the South Pacific. And uh, 
what happens is when when you start the Peace Corps, there's a couple of months of an orientation process where they basically have all the volunteers together and they teach you how to survive there and also teach you the language. So um, they immediately put us in villages on this island that we were staying in and uh, they put you with a family. And uh, it, with the family, you start learning the language. So you, you're immediately forced to s- start speaking the language every single day and you're literally like a week off the plane and you're, you know, you're, you're interacting with them every day. You're eating their food. You're uh, living in the house. Uh, so, so that's what you do for the first three months. And then they give you your shipping orders again and they tell you, okay, for the next two years, you're going to be by yourself on this little island out of this, let's say, whatever, it's 80 islands in Vanuatu. And that's, that's, that's what you will be doing. Unbelievable. So you get your shipping orders and you arrive on Vanuatu. You've left this family where you were learning the language. And what, what is the first thing you're confronted with? What do you see? What's, well, tell me a bit more. Yeah, so it was, it was insane. So I ended up on this, um, on this island called Malakula. And it was an isolated region of the island surrounded by mountains where there was <laughs> about 2,500 people living on this, on this bay. Uh-huh. Um, every village speaks a different language. And I remember we, we flew, we actually flew in, there was an airport on this island, which I, I was like, Oh, cool. I'll, you know, I can take a plane out if I need to. That was the last time the plane flew for two years. The plane, <laughs> the plane got stuck in the mud in the airport and we were like pushing it out. We were pushing out a plane with the propeller spinning from the mud. Uh, so that was my first experience on my island. <laughs> So, so before, sorry to interrupt you, are you saying you did not leave this island for two years? I left a couple of times, but it was like a three-day journey by boat, car, and uh, another boat. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so, so the plane like gets stuck in the mud. We push it out. Um, and then some people from my village came to meet me. And again, uh, for the first time I meet this family that will be, uh, essentially like my new family. And, you know, I still call them my mom and mom and dad, my island mom and dad, because that's how close we, we got. Like I lived in their house for the first year. And then after that, I lived by myself, but it was in a village of 80 people. And uh, we had to jump in this boat and we took the boat to the village. The village is sitting on the side of the cliff, tiny. Everybody's kind of on top of each other. The crazy thing is there was there's no sense of individuality and space like there is in the states or western countries. It's one large community where everybody is kind of in each other's business, everybody is super close together. If you don't come out of your house for ten minutes, people start coming and checking if you're sick. Um, <laughs> so for being an introvert and being uh, coming from a place like u s uh, where it's it is kind of a very individual society. Uh, that was super, super shop- shocking and tough to get used to. Wow. No, this, this sense of community, I mean, it, it, in a way, it actually sounds kind of cool that uh-huh. yeah, if, some, if, you, if you're not seen for 10 minutes, someone will come check on you. I think you, there have been studies that have shown that the, the world's longest living people are usually part of a thriving, close-knit community. And I'm guessing one of the reasons they live so long is because they have this deep rooted sense of security that there are people to look after them, which lowers their stress and 
does a whole bunch of other positive benefits. I mean, did you feel, was it a good thing? Was it enjoyable to, to be part of this community? It was definitely challenging as an introvert, especially at first. And when I was living with a family, I uh, basically didn't, you know, I didn't have any of my own space. I was like living in the house with four other people. Um, but then when uh, I was supposed to have a house there on the island that I was supposed to live in, but I showed up and there, I, there's only the foundation. And I was like, oh, <laughs> damn, I guess I don't have a house. <laughs> so over the next three, four months, we built this house. Um, me and, and, and the guys from the, from the village, we built up this house and I got my own house. And once I moved into that, I had my own house and I was like, okay, cool. Uh, this, is, this is definitely um, feels a little bit better, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just for, for my nature. But I think you're absolutely right with uh, there's something to be said about that sense of community and that, that sense of helping each other out. Um, mm-hmm. it's, they, they are some of the happiest people I've ever uh, met in the world. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, that, that again, is, it's, such, it's such a common story that's told by people who come back from, from those types of remote places where there's still indigenous tribal cultures that there's got to be something to it. But let's, let's like get a bit of a balanced perspective I mean, I'm guessing there were parts of this that were absolutely shit like that. You were just like so longing for the, the comforts and conveniences of the modern world. Is there anything that jumps out at you? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely in, a, in its own way was very, even though you were surrounded by people 24 seven, it, it was a little bit of that isolation where you can't really talk to anybody that fully gets what you're going through. Just because again, I'm like in this village, I'm like the only white person for miles I barely speak the language, don't really understand the customs, don't really have super close relationships with the people around me. So it definitely felt like super lonely and isolated at times. And, uh, but it definitely got better as time went on, like everything does. So you were, it's my understanding that you were doing medical services on the island as well as construction, and you were just generally there to make their lives better and, and help kind of... I don't want to say civilize them because that sounds a little bit <laughs> condescending, but you were there to help install some of the the benefits of the civilized world. Is that correct? Man, yeah, that's that, that's uh, that's an interesting topic. But uh, basically, uh, there's a couple of the Peace, the Peace Corps has a couple of different missions. The first mission of the Peace Corps is to take expertise from people in the U.S. and uh, bring it to second and third world countries to help improve their quality of life. The other mission is to help introduce people from U.S. and U.S. culture into those societies just so there's friendly relationships between that country and the U.S. Mm -hmm. And um, also to take what you learn in those societies and bring it back to the U.S. to make people in the U.S. understand those societies better. So those are the three missions. Now, strategically or, or rather tactically, how the Peace Corps actually works is uh, three different branches. There's a branch for uh, medical support, there's a branch for teaching, and there's a branch for kind of catch-all business. So for medical, it's like somebody can go in there, start like a, a little like nursing station, help people uh, with their healthcare, help improve the quality of healthcare because the healthcare there obviously is non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, teaching, they'll put a somebody in school and have them like teach math or English or whatever else. And then what I was doing, I was like kind of a catch-all. So 
Um, my background was in business. So they said, okay, this community was doing some stuff around business. We're going to put you there. So what that entailed was everything from trying to install a hydroelectric generator to doing solar electrification projects on a small scale to improving the quality of water to uh, actually building like a kindergarten, building a tourist lodge. And I got to do all of that stuff. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I got to uh, really expand my knowledge and my abilities uh, quite a bit. Unbelievable. I just, it blows my mind. You were how old when this happened? Damn. Um, I want to say like 24 years old. Unbelievable. So at 24, you go to the most isolated part of the most, one of the most isolated islands in the world and you build your own house and t- teach them how to install hydroelectric power and build a kindergarten and act as a, a nursing state. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You go, I guess you said something to me once, which really stuck out of me, which you said that your ultimate ambition, your ultimate purpose in life is to help other people. And was that, was that there before Vanuatu? Was that something that Vanuatu instilled in you? That made it clear. Um, it was always there. I, I always felt my best uh, just giving and supporting others and trying to help others. Mm-hmm. But uh, that really clarified it for me. I have never felt so good or so rewarded or just so fulfilled than from the stuff that I was uh, doing there when it was going well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's absolutely incredible, man. I just I want to give you props in case anyone hasn't before. I know I've told you before how much I respect and admire what you did, but it's it's amazing, dude. Tell me, like, if, if there's anyone listening to this who's interested in perhaps doing something like that, especially if they're in the, in the States, what's the first step? You just go on the Peace Corps website or what are the requirements? Yeah. So uh, you go on the Peace Corps website. Yeah. You can take a look of the, con- in, of the different countries where Peace Corps works. Uh, now it's actually gotten a little bit more flexible. So you can actually select which countries you want to go to and they give you some, uh, they give that some weight. Uh, but basically, it's it's a pretty lengthy application process, so it can take anywhere from, let's say, four four to six months to a year. Uh, but you basically have to fill out an application. You also do an interview with a recruiter to kind of see if they fit you, you fit them. And um, after you uh, do all that paperwork, uh, because it is basically a job with the U.S. government, so they definitely check you out. You you get uh, selected and you get your country assignment. One, one thing I, I'd like to encourage people, if, if this seems like a cool, cool thing to do or this interests you in any way, just do the application. Just fill it out uh, just because it takes a long time. And uh, you know, it's, it, it, it'll at least give you the option to do it. You're not committed at any point in the process. You can always back out. But just fill out the application, go through the process and you know, see if this might be something that would interest you. Uh, man, I think that's wonderful advice. So not content with having been a child business finance prodigy. And a part of the story you left out is that at 18, you won, I, I'm not sure the specifics, but you won some award whereby um, some financier gave you a million dollars to manage uh, in, in a fund. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it, you make it sound way cooler than it was. But <laughs> basically, <laughs> um, it was... It was um, a, um, I guess, organization, a foundation in, um, in my university, and you had to apply for this position. So a bunch of students applied every year 
And if you were selected, you, they basically gave you a million dollars and you could manage those mil- that million dollars uh, to learn about money management, to learn about uh, investing and uh, value investing specifically. And yeah, I got to uh, be a part of that fund and then later lead that fund. So that was a pretty amazing experience. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you basically are Tony Stark, dude. So <laughs> it just blows my mind. Um, you leave, so you, you, you do that, you, you get into that university, then you leave university, you become a captain of industry flying around the world, troubleshooting for one of the biggest companies in the world. You find that's not fulfilling. And so you decide to head on over to the Peace Corps, to the super isolated island. You do your thing out there for a couple of years, and then you get back and you're not content with having done more in five years than most people do in a lifetime, and you decide what's next. Yeah, so here's one cool thing about the Peace Corps, and also definitely a cool incentive. So if you spend um, whatever it is, like two and a half years in the Peace Corps, what happens is there becomes available this opportunity where you can actually apply for graduate programs and the U.S. government will cover a lot of the cost. Wow. So what happened is I, is I applied to get my master's of business administration to further my education because education is kind of one of the big pillars of my life and uh, that's something I'm always pursuing. And uh, basically what happened was I got to my two-year degree at the University of Arizona, which is how I ended up here in Tucson, completely for free. So it was completely paid for. And in fact, they actually gave me a stipend to go here. So um, I was getting paid money to go to university here and all because I did my Peace Corps service. So, and it's not only Masters of Business Administration, you can get Master of Public Health, a bunch of different degrees are available. So that's one cool incentive to do this service. Okay. And you chose the MBA. That's what you did. Yeah, yeah. So you did your MBA and... I mean, I'll let you fill in the details, but ultimately that transpired or ended in you running a company or creating a company in which you guys do artificial intelligence or machine learning for speech recognition. Is that correct? Yeah. So basically what happened is luckily University of Arizona had one of the best entrepreneurship programs in the world. So I um, ended up going through that program. And essentially, in your second year of your MBA, they make you start a business. They make you generate a bunch of ideas, pick the best one, start a business and launch it. So I actually teamed up with one of my uh, friends from my program. And we started this business. Um, We just had this idea of, uh, hey, so what if we use technology to help people with public speaking? Because that is the thing people are really afraid of. It's the second most uh, fearsome thing for people after snakes. So it's something that everybody struggles with, especially kids like me and my partner were both immigrants. Uh, so kids like us who came from a different country, uh, but it's, it's definitely a huge uh, demand that needed to be met. So we're like, okay, what if we use technology to help with this? Because you know, traditionally it's been very expensive to uh, get that coaching and also pretty, pretty limiting because it's in-person coaching. Mm-hmm. So what we ended up was launching this company using artificial intelligence to identify people's issues in public speaking and communication and then give them coaching in real time through technology to help them improve and make them more confident. Unbelievable. And it's now a successful company. You're still running it. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm sitting (laughs) sitting in my office. And um, I mean, success is definitely relative, but we're doing really well. We work with over 200 universities and over 100 companies throughout the country and the world. 
So yeah, it's definitely still a startup, definitely a growing company, but super rewarding to see it come from that little idea into something tangible. Man, what, unbelievable. It's, you know, I consider myself a pretty well accomplished person and a well-rounded person who's seen and done some cool stuff, but it's truly humbling to chat to someone like you, Igor. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Now, one of the things I've been wanting you to come on the show and talk about, which I feel is very important, the global theme of what I'm doing is liberation because I feel a lot of men are trapped in today's, in today's world, especially the Western world. And one of the traps that they, one of the things that traps them is money and finances. And uh, you have chosen to adopt what I consider hyper-minimalism as your pathway out of this particular trap. And I mean, I'll just throw a stat out for you guys here. Igor is not a poor person on by any stretch. I mean, I know you're not totally balling it and have tens of millions in the bank, but you're definitely comfortable. And yet you told me something that astounded me. And that is that you managed to live on less than a thousand dollars a month. Right. And to me, I, I find that so, so interesting and just downright cool because I, I feel what happens with a lot of people is when they start to find some success, they get lifestyle creep. And so as the guy gets his bonus at work or he sells his first company, then he starts buying a whole bunch of toys. He takes out a whole bunch of loans on bigger houses. And eventually he's even more trapped than he was when he had no money. And you have managed to avoid that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you came to this particular um, decision to live your life in that way. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been a journey. Um, and I'm uh, just very getting really, really into this financial independence movement that has really been around for a long time, but has really gained steam in the last uh, dozen or so years. And it's kind of uh, everywhere now. It's um, financial independence, retire early movement. So um, yeah, I think it started for me. I, I always really thought money was just going to make me super, super happy. And <laughs> kind of solve all my problems until the point where I started making more than I can spend. And uh, it, it, that really uh, shone a light on a lot of things for me and made me realize that happiness is just not going to come from external things and I need to look internally. And I think that's what my two years in the Peace Corps was really all about is figuring out where, where internally that's going to come from. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, it's been, it's definitely been a journey. I've, uh, been slowly coming to this realization of, of um, minimalism and, uh, the less I can spend, the more free I'm going to become over the last couple of years and really kind of tangibly implementing that over the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I tried, it's more like 1500 bucks a month that I tried to live on now, but, uh, yeah, I tried to, uh, Try to basically really, really minimize my expenses because when uh, that happens, I, I found there's just a lot of freedom in that. Uh, realizing that I don't need a lot to be happy makes makes uh, makes me much more happy and uh, much more free in the process. Man, I absolutely love that, and I totally agree with you. It's happiness is not about getting more; it's about being content with less. Sometimes, not always, but I think a large portion of the time. I want to talk a little bit more about the specifics of it because, you know, Igor, one of the things I absolutely treasure about our friendship is your ridiculously deep knowledge of 
finance, in particular personal finance, but also macroeconomics, uh, you really understand how all the pieces fit together. And I know you're such a humble guy. You'd say you're, you're probably thinking of a way to say that's not true or, or kind of just be humble about it. But I, I, man, I'm, I'm very interested in personal finance. I've read many, many books on the subject. And after my first conversation with you about this, I realized I know absolutely nothing. And I, I realized I was in the presence of someone who had a deep, deep, deep understanding of the subject. And so I want to get into the, the details a little bit specifically with some practical advice and tips that, that the men listening to this can use to help hit this point of financial freedom where they're not forced to go do a job they hate, or they're not tied down to a bunch of stuff and paying for a bunch of stuff that they don't need or don't want. In particular, you said that there was a specific multiple or there's some kind of formula, which is a specific multiple of your uh, yearly income requirements. And once you have that, if you invest wisely, you're basically financially free. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah. So there's definitely a couple of um, concepts there, Nick, that I want to touch on. So basically, if if you look at personal finance, there's a kind of end point in how much money you need to basically live indefinitely and have money without having to work. And that rule is basically the rule of 25. So if you take your yearly expenses, multiply that out by 25, that will give you a number. And basically, at, at that number, you can quit your job and live off of the interest of that money forever. So what that means is once, once you have that sum, so basically your yearly expenses, let's say $40,000 uh, times 25, uh, you can basically take that money, invest it in the stock market, and you can live off of the interest generated by that money for the rest of your life without having to work. So uh, a lot of people in the financial independence movement, this retire early movement, they're just trying to get to that number. Now, if you notice, I said expenses. So if you take your yearly expenses and multiply it out, so the lower that yearly expense number can be, the lower that number is ultimately going to be. So let's say if I take that uh, 40K and multiply it by 25, that's a million dollars, right? So you need a million dollars to retire. But if your annual expenses are $20,000, multiply that by, uh, by 25, you only need $500,000 and you can retire. So that's, that's one concept that's kind of uh, been a really interesting discovery for me in the, in, in the financial independence movement. And that's definitely something that I'm working towards is uh, kind of hitting that number for me. So I, I have the option to not have to work and I can actually pursue other endeavors uh, and just kind of live off the interest that that money is generating. Oh man, I just absolutely love that. In particular, because it, it applies a specific principle that has made a massive difference to my life and my ability to achieve my goals, which is to literally start with the end in mind. And, you know, like you've, you've taken all, or this movement has done that and, and done it extremely well. They, people always have this, a lot of people want to be rich, right? Or they want to have money, but they don't even know what that means. It, like, what, it, what does that mean? Does it mean you have $10 million in the bank? Or does it mean you have $100 million in the bank? Or you have passive income streams of $20,000? What does it even mean? And, and that's what I love about what you've just described is you can literally sit down with a formula and figure out what financial freedom means to you. So I'm definitely working on that myself, that uh, rule of 25, Igor. And uh, thank you for introducing me to that all those uh, months ago. It's very, very cool. The last thing I really wanted to touch on today, Igor, is um, something that you do that I really feel 
everyone out there listening to will have great success with and will greatly improve the quality of their lives. And that is you spend a lot of time in nature doing solo hikes, long distance solo hikes. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how you got involved in that and what it's, what it does for you specifically? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I got involved in it through a friend. It's uh, one of those things that I never thought I could do or was accessible to me until I met somebody and brought him into my life uh, that told me, hey, like, grab your stuff, let's go and do this. So we did this five-day uh, backpacking trip in uh, Bryce Canyon many, many years ago. And I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely incredible. You can just throw a bunch of stuff in your bag. You can survive in nature for, let's say, five or six days, um, just completely get immersed and come back to civilization. So it's, um, that's been really, really magical for me. I, um, I had a relationship with nature when I was younger, but I kind of lost it through the years due to moving and due to pursuing other things. And this kind of really reopened that door. And I've been doing a lot of uh, backpacking for the last couple of years, going on um, trips anywhere from three to 10 days, uh, being out in the wilderness with my buddies and uh, you know, hiking 10, 15 miles a day. And uh, it's, it's just an incredible therapy. I think it, that is a place we're meant to be. And today's world, especially living in cities, is so isolated from the goodness that uh, uh, nature and nature therapy can bring into your life. So it, it really changed my life for the better. And I, uh, I really hope to continue doing that uh, in the coming years. So, yeah, I think what I just want to make clear to everyone is it's not like, you, again, you do this like you do everything with... I guess a tiny bit of extremism to it. Like you don't just take this big backpack with your laptop and your iPad and four or five different sets of clothes and an inflatable mattress. I mean, you literally take a couple of kilos of gear. Is that correct? Yeah. And especially for like ultralight backpacking, which is what I do because I'm crazy. It's, it's like, you know, 10, 15 pounds of uh, gear on your back and you're, and you're off. Wow. And that, I guess, again, that's uh, one of my favorite expressions of quotes is from uh, the movie Fight Club. Sooner or later, the things you own start to own you. And, you know, for me, when I, when I leave my house to go do anything, if I'm going to the supermarket, if I'm going for a walk, if I'm going anywhere, I want as little stuff with me as possible. I truly, literally, I want to feel as free as possible. The more things I have, like if I have a wallet and then my phone and my set of keys and any, any extra thing I have on me is just baggage weighing me down. And I really, I just love that idea of having next to nothing and just heading out. I know I'm romanticizing a little bit and I'm reminded of that movie, um, into the wild where that dude gets it horribly wrong. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm not suggesting anyone do anything that stupid, but I just love this idea of being self-sufficient and just taking only the essentials and heading out into nature for a few days. I want to come do that with you, Igor. I, I truly do. I'm just getting my, my mind ready for it because I know um, I've become, in the short time I've been in a, in a one place, in a, in, a, in a home, I've started to become adapted to my creature comforts. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be healthy, mentally healthy to come on with you on one of those hikes. Absolutely. Yeah. Igor, my brother, it is a true pleasure for me to have been able to speak to you. I'm guessing you're not really one of those guys who has a big web presence and wants anyone to go to their website or anything like that. Or, or do you have 
Instagram or something you want to send people to or, or not? Yeah, I don't really have a social media presence, but uh, if anybody wants to learn more about the Peace Corps um, or that whole entire process, um, feel free to reach out to me on my Facebook. It's Y-E-G-O-R and Nick will have my last name in the podcast title. But yeah, reach out to me and uh, we can chat about it. I'd be more than happy to talk to you. Awesome, Igor. Thank you so much. I appreciate you very much, my brother. Great being here. Thank you so much, Nick. Goddamn, that was powerful. I mean, what a guy. You know, I, I've met a lot of people throughout the course of my life. I've been gifted and blessed to be able to spend time with a lot of interesting, actualized people, especially earlier in my podcasting career when I was when when I started London Real. I met some thoroughly accomplished and interesting people, and also through my time in the jiu-jitsu world and traveling the world, it's been a, a great privilege of my life to meet very cool people, people that are smarter than me, people that are more actualized than me. And Igor is one of those guys, man. He's just the true example of, as I said at the beginning of the show, a Renaissance man. And what I love most about him, again, it all comes back to the same thing is that he's a man of action. You know, he, he decides he wants to do something and then he goes and reads about it, studies it, and then dives into it. You know, he, one of the things we didn't even touch on in the show is he wanted to be, he wanted to learn powerlifting because his grandfather was a powerlifter. So he got a book on powerlifting and then joined the local powerlifting club and he, he attained that skill, right? He earned it for himself. And the reason he did that is just because he wanted to and he wouldn't let anyone say that he couldn't. And he does that in many aspects of his life. You know, I was at his office the other day and he goes to the library. He goes to the library and he just takes out books. I mean, when was the last time any of you guys did that? I haven't done that forever. I mean, I order my books on Amazon, so I do read a lot. But the fact that there's a library available where I can go and learn anything I want, you know, the secrets are all there in plain sight. Go, if you want to learn something, you want to advance in a specific area of your life, just find out what are the best books on the topic, go take them out, read them, and then take action and your life will change and Igor is just a wonderful example of that I'm I'm truly blessed to know him and we're gonna have many more shows like this coming up with with amazing people like this I'm, I'm thankful for all the feedback I've been getting from you guys been getting a lot of PMs on Facebook and in my email inbox the best way you guys can thank me for the show is to head on over to iTunes and leave a review because as you know that pushes me up in the rankings which means more people get to see the show and more people will be able to uh, hear all these amazing people's wisdom so guys i really hope you enjoyed that and we'll be back next week with another episode until then have a wonderful weekend peace out